0: Welcome to episode 7 of the flagship podcast of Fansided's Call to the Pen. You can find this podcast as well as uh, yeah, all the great content our contributors put out at calltothepen.com. I am your host and Fansided contributor, Jonathan Playtech. You can follow me on Twitter, at John's Voices, as I always do whenever we meet, whenever and wherever that may be. And because this is a podcast and not broadcast radio, it will probably just be on com. I hope to make this an enjoyable and fun experience. New episode scheduled for Mondays and and Wednesdays. We have a lot to get to today, Wednesday, August 23rd. We will, will, I promise, we will be getting to. The AL wildcard race, it is insane. And as it heats up, we'll talk about which teams are hot and which teams are not as we get ready to wrap up August. It is August 23rd, August will be ending shortly, we'll be into September, and that is when playoff races heat up, so to speak. Also, we'll discuss MLB umpires staging a one-day silent protest to combat, I I don't know, mead words or something when they screw up. They don't like being told that they suck, even though some of them, arguably many of them, demonstrably suck. Like, suck way out loud. And if we have time, my schedule is packed today. Got a lot of Madden to get to. We'll talk about what's hot and happening Call to the pen dot com. I'm just kidding. I'm only going to play a little bit of Madden. Got a lot of work to do. Got some work. That's why there was no episode on Monday. Had a client schedule me for some work. Needed to get that done. That takes precedence. I'm sorry. Talk to the call to the pen powers that be. Talk to fan sided. Get me on a uh, per episode basis. And We'll talk about daily episodes. How about that? Huh? I'm just kidding. No, but I really had some work. That takes precedence. Work always takes precedence, kids. But first, scoreboard. 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 Hey, Joaquin. I'm out here with Apollos Hester, wide receiver for the Patriots. You guys had one heck of a game tonight. What were you guys able to do to come back and win this thing? All right. Well, at first we started slow. We started real slow. And, you know, that's all right. That's okay, because sometimes in life you're going to start slow. We're going to start slow, but we're always, always going to finish fast. No matter what the score was, we're going to finish hard. We're going to finish fast. And it's, it's an awesome feeling. It's an awesome feeling when you truly believe that you're going to be successful. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, you're going to be successful. Yeah, Paulus Hester. Yeah, buddy. You know when I was taking a sip of my coffee? Uh, during that intro, and I cannot believe that there are six servings of vegetables in this little scoop. It's incredible. Yeah, I know it's a podcast and you can't see what I'm doing, but uh, I got a little uh, additive here. They say you can put it in your coffee too, and look at that. I'm getting six helpings of vegetables with my morning mocha coffee, and it tastes like mocha. It's not bad. You should check it out. I don't know the brand name of it, so uh, good luck finding that. Anyway, onto the scoreboard. The Padres decimated the Cardinals 12-4 in St. Louis, thanks in part to a six-run seventh inning for the Friars. The loss drops the cards to 63-62 and on the season. They are four and a half games back of the divisional lead and five games back of the NL's second wildcard spot. The Royals edged out the Rockies 3-2 to in KC. Nolan Arenado had the only home run of the game, one of only two hits for the Rockies. Though they are six games back of the divisional leading Indians the Royals now sit only one and a half games back of the AL second wildcard spot as September approaches around on the horizon the Nationals beat the Astros 4-3 to in Houston Tanner Roark picks up his 10th win on the season with the win the Nationals eclipse the Astros in winning percentage who believe you could say that early on in, uh, in this season uh, on the season, the Strohs sit at six oh eight winning percentage. The Nationals, with this win, are now at six ten. They're also 6-3 since losing superstar Bryce Harper. The Twins beat the White Sox on Chicago's south side 4-1. White Sox top-pitching prospect Lucas Giolito made his debut for the south-siders. Going six innings, giving up four runs on six hits while walking no one and striking out four. The Twins smacked three home runs off the coveted prospect or... Perhaps now after this game once coveted prospect. With the win, the twins are just four and a half games back of the AL Central lead, but hold on to the AL second wild card spot by a very narrow margin. Quick sidebar, Lucas Giolito. Mr. Giolito, I know you're a big fan of the show. But uh if you're gonna be pitching your home games in what was US cellular field, I refuse to call it by its proper name now, you're gonna learn you're gonna have to learn to not give up home runs because that's exactly what happens at former U.S. Cellular Field. So you're going to have to keep the ball down, out of the strike zone, out of the power planes of today's modern hitters, just uh, an outsider's perspective. But uh, best of luck to you, Lucas Giolito, in six innings. I mean, four runs on six innings, six hits, no walks. Walks were the big concern. Now apparently it's home runs. The Braves beat the Mariners for nothing in the house that Cobb County taxpayers built. The loss drops the Mariners to two games back of the Twins for the AL's second ticket to the postseason dance. The Rays topped the Blue Jays at the Trop six to five, stopping the bleeding after back-to-back hits led to a sacrifice fly scoring Kendrish Morales in the top of the ninth. Alex Colomb worked out of the jam at 62 and 65. The Rays have some work to do considering their 11-game de- deficit in the AL East means they have to surmount the four-game lead the Twins have on them for a wild-card spot. The Yankees socked the Tigers 13-4 in Detroit. Gary Sanchez went yard twice in this game, his 24th and 25th round-trippers on the season, respectively. Aaron Judge went one-for-one with three walks and, blessedly, no strikeouts. The Yankees have a solid two-and-a-half-game surplus on the AL's first wild-card spot, and they are still only four-and-a-half games back of the Red Sox with plenty Plenty of baseball left. You know, Lord knows you want to. You want to avoid those one-game playoffs if you, if you can. Yeah, you can tell fans that you're a postseason team, even if you only made it to the one-game playoff. But if you want to make play some serious postseason baseball, you got to make that divisional lead. Plenty of baseball left for the Yankees. The Cubs continued their ransacking of the dregs of the NL Central as they beat the Reds at home, 13 to nine. The Cubbies now hold a solid three-game lead. On the division, the Red Sox helped out the Twinkies, busting the Indians open for nine runs, six of which came in the final three innings of the game. The Sox, of course, still lead the AL East. The D-backs beat the Mets 7-4 to in New York, and while it once was a foregone conclusion that the NL's two wildcard teams would be emerging from its western division, both the Rockies and D-backs have three teams within six games of either spot, with two NL Central teams being no more than five and a half games back of a Postseason bid. The Athletics beat the Orioles six to four with their AL East dreams all but mathematically dashed. The O's have to hold out hope they'll be able to hurdle the other five teams vying for a wild card bid. Those being the Rangers, Mariners, Angels, Royals, and Rays, respectively. The Dodgers continued breaking baseball as they beat the Pirates 8-5. to It was a valiant effort for the Buccos, but now being eight games back of the NL Central and eight and a half games back of a wildcard berth, all hope appears lost. The win brought the Dodgers' winning percentage on the season to seven eighteen. The Marlins beat the Phillies 7-4 to and 12-8 to in a double dip in Philly. In the day part, the teams combined for nine total home runs, including one by ageless wonder Ichiro Suzuki. A lot of people call him the true hit king. I disagree! Because if you're going to count his hits in professional baseball in Japan, why are you not counting Pete Rowe's professional hits in minor league baseball? Seriously. Is that not that's not a thing? We're just going to... We we're just gonna oh Ichiro's a true hit king because he had whatever sixteen hundred hits in in professional Japanese baseball. So okay, well if you include Pete Pete Rose's minor league hits, well, <laughs> a lot of people just want to make Ichiro Suzuki the home or the true hit king, and here's why surprise surprise because Pete Rose is an unlikable guy. You know we'll talk about that on the other side, on the other side of the scoreboard here. Uh, (laughs) By Ageless Wonder, Ichiro Suzuki and Giancarlo Stanton's 46th homer of the year. The two wins keep Miami's dreams of a wildcard ticket punch alive. Uh, they sit just five and a half games back of the NL's second bid, but that's uh, that's a tough road to hoe. Five and a half games back of the second wild card spot. The Brewers beat the Giants by the Bay, four to three, keeping just two and a half back of the NL Central. Then the Angels routed the Rangers, ten to one, at home in LA to keep their playoff hopes alive. Their win cuts Minnesota's wild card lead to just half a game. That's what happened in MLB action yesterday, and this has been your scoreboard on the Call to the Pen podcast. All right. Ichiro a home run yesterday. Good for Ichiro. I like Ichiro. Good guy. I, You know, this is not bashing Ichiro. This is not saying Ichiro is bad, although I do have some thoughts on Ichiro's Hall of Fame candidacy in that I don't think Ichiro Suzuki is a Hall of Famer. I don't think he has been dominant enough for, uh, for long enough. And actually, for about a third of his career, entering where he is now, for about a third of his career, Ichiro's been bad. 's been pretty bad for about a third of his career if you look at the numbers talked about this a lot on the uh the KMP show my uh, my resident sports talk podcast but if you want to talk about let's say since uh since his New York days since his days in New York 2013 and get this added up as whatever ad AdSense ad begins a redirect on my uh, computer, as often happens on baseball reference. But since 2013, Ichiro has. Okay, it's just going to go ahead and not load. But Ichiro has played 150, 143, 153, 143, and 103 games, amassing uh, 1906 plate appearances. 1,906 plate appearances. For his career, he has 10,629 plate appearances, so that is definitely not a third. But uh, 1,906 divided by 10,629, it's about 18% of his career. For the latter 18%, almost 20% of his career. Let's include 2012 in that. We'll include 2012. We get to 2,500 plate appearances. All right? 25, 6, 9. I know, great pod, right? 10, six, two, nine. Now we're at 25%. Give or take. From 2012 to 2017, we are at 25% of his career plate appearances in Major League Baseball. Ichiro Suzuki has a batting line of 268, 310, 348. An OPS Plus of 83. He has... yeah, yeah. From ages 38 to 43... Ichiro Suzuki, on maybe he's the hit king. Okay, maybe you just really don't like Pete Rose. I get it. Pete Rose is a, is a dislikable man, and there are some things that have come to light about Pete Rose recently that uh, Pete Rose was accused of some pretty heinous things, not just betting on baseball, which I think... You know, as much as people get make fun of him for his his defense of his gambling on baseball when he says, "Hey, at least I bet on my team to win." I think yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's not as bad. If you bet on your team to win, the the whole idea of why you don't like gambling in baseball is because you think there is a the, the baseball has an aversion because of what happened in the black with the black socks, right? Of course. But If you bet on your team to win, the whole aversion is I don't want there to be an air of you throwing a game to try to win money from bookies. But if you bet on your team to win, isn't that air gone? Right? It's not like you've shorted the stock or anything like that. Anyway, Pete Rose is a generally dislikable dude, despite his recent memehood from Fox Sports 1 postseason baseball broadcasts, uh, aside Alex Rodriguez and the like. And his odd, awkward leaning on camera, not understanding camera cues or what the red light means, on top of the eighty thousand uh, dollar camera rig. But you don't like Pete Rose. You want to call Ichiro Suzuki the true hit king. You want to incredulously include Ichiro's professional Japanese professional baseball hits, but not include Pete Rose's minor league hits. And you want to try to make that make sense in your head. Just to, just say it's because I don't like Pete Rose. Ichiro is the is the true hit king because Pete Rose is a dislikable douche canoe, and I just don't want to I just don't want to call Pete Rose. I don't want to throw accolades on Pete Rose because the last thing Pete Rose needs is somebody saying, "Hey, Pete, you're a pretty good guy." Just say that, and I'll and I'll buy it. Don't try to t- don't try to make the case that, oh, Well, if you include uh, Ichiro's uh, professional hits, well, he's the he's the real hit king. And then you try to make some well, well, the Japanese professional league it's about a it's about akin to quadruple A baseball. I mean, really, it's a it's a step above triple A, uh, not quite as good as Major League Baseball, but uh, you know, we got to talk about well, if we just uh, include all his hits in in what could be considered quadruple A, then he's the true hit king. Just say you don't like Pete Rose because. If you include Ichiro's Japanese hits in Japan, you have to include Pete Rose's minor league hits. And Pete Rose wins with minor league hits. Pete Rose still wins. Pete Rose, don't make that argument because then Pete Rose will still win. Just say, I don't like Pete Rose. Pete Rose is an ass clown. And I will agree with you. But for the last 25%, the last tail end, 25% of his career, Ichiro's been bad. I mean... He's been real bad. Okay, so that went from 2017 to 2012. Let's do a value. What is his what is his WAR been? He's at a 4.2 WAR in those 5 years. In the last 25% of his career, Ichiro Suzuki has amassed a 4.5 baseball wins above replacement. Again, which is more baseball wins above replacement is more conducive to a player like Ichiro more conducive because of how they calculate how they what they base one their defense on is uh they're they're based on defensive runs above uh DRA defensive runs defensive runs or no DRS defensive runs saved which is a more of a box score defensive metric and Ichiro Suzuki is you know well, it's, it, actually, no, DRS is more similar to UZR, although they pretend it's a lot different. But DRS, as I understand it, favors, fa- tends to favor defenders and look more favorably uh, upon people like that. E- offense, not so much. So four and a half war for the last 25% of his career. Now let's look at the Hall of Fame indicators. A great baseball reference statistic. Uh, we gotta go. Oh boy. I should have had this ready, but you know what? That's what you get when you're, uh, when you're doing some live pod and let's see black ink. Okay. Here it is. Hall of fame statistics, black ink. He's got 43 average Hall of Famer 27. Uh, that comes from leading the game, leading a lot of he's, yeah, he's got a lot of black and gray ink indicators. All right. Right field, his war indicators. He has a 59.4 career baseball wins above replacement, a 43.6 seven-year peak, and a 51.5 Jaws. The average Hall of Fame right fielder, out of 24 already in, they average a career wins above replacement in baseball reference uh, version of it, 73.2, and a 43.0 seven-year peak, and a 58.1 Jaws. So the only thing that Ichiro really has going for him is his seven-year peak. When he was really, really good for those seven years. Other than that, especially for about a quarter of his career, Ichiro has been bad. He's been uh, not solid. He's been above replacement level. And that's about all you can say. Not solidly above replacement level. Not well above replacement level. Not incredibly above replacement level. Not dominant of replacement level. Just above. He's been four and a half war over five years. It's less less than uh, one win above replacement a season. And that's for 25% of his career. So a good player. Again, not denying that Ichiro has been good. For There was a, a peak where Ichiro Suzuki was an incredible baseball player. But other than that, he's just played for a long time. And in my world... In my baseball world, it's not the Hall of guys who have played a long time. It's the hall, of, the hall of Fame. And fame to me equates to dominance. Continued, persistent dominance. And each row only has a peak of dominance. Not denying that there was dominance. There just wasn't enough of it for my liking, including the fact that that since he was last in All-Star, Ichiro has been really bad. I mean, bad. Just objectively bad. Bad. You like Ichiro. Everybody likes Ichiro. I don't think anybody has a problem with Ichiro, unless, unless you want to count the people that are like, why doesn't he speak English? Idiots. Because he doesn't want to, and it's not a big deal. Even though he can, he just doesn't trust himself to speak in not his native tongue, which is totally understandable. But outside of those people, nobody has a problem with Ichiro. This is not a value judgment of Ichiro the human. He's just he's been bad for the last five years. And you don't get to be a little bit dominant and then bad for five years and then be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I know he's going to get in. I know I'm I'm fighting against the tide here. But Ichiro Suzuki, in my baseball world, is not a Hall of Famer, and that's my case, and I rest it. All right. We talked about it a little bit in the scoreboard. The league's most contested divisional race belongs to the NL, that being the NL Central. But the most contested, overall, the overall most contested postseason race has got to be the AL's wildcard circuit. As it stands right now, there are four teams currently within four and a half games of the first, first wildcard spot in the AL presently held by the Yankees. There are also six teams that are within four and a half games of the league's second spot held by the Twins. At this point, it's anyone's guess who will come out on top because even when you enter into August... Looking, projecting out, moving forward from okay, where are we at on August? Or, uh, excuse me, September. Where are we at on September one, and where are we going to be at when the season wraps on you know October first, second, third? When teams finally wrap up their seasons, where are we going to be at? It's going to be hard, and seeing as how it's only August twenty third, it's a little bit harder. But give right now. The Yankees seem like favorites to hold onto the league's first wildcard spot. Or the Red Sox in their stead, should the Bombers catch up in the divisional race. As they have the largest average run differential of all wildcard hopefuls. Of all of them. Their average one run differential is one whole run on average in their favor. In their favor. Other teams have one or two tenths. Tenths of a run differential, and most of them, most of them in the wildcard race, those two one or two-tenths of a run differential are against, against their team. They're usually on the wrong end, or when you subtract their their runs from their run average allowed, or runs allowed average, you get a negative tenths, one or two tenths. The Angels are certainly the hottest team to pick for a wildcard spot. And though they are a half game uh, out at present of the Twins spot, they are 19-11 and 11 in their last 30 games. The best of all realistic hopefuls, of course. Leaderboards will include everybody down to the White Sox, for the love of God. Uh, out of all the realistic hopefuls, again, 19-11 and 11 in their last 30. 14-6 in their last 20. Again, the best of all hopefuls. And 7-3 and three in their last 10, which has matched Minnesota's pace. So they look to be there right there, especially with the routing of the Rangers last night. And the Rays, I liked the Rays a month ago. If you would have asked me, who's a, give me a dark horse. If you A month and a half ago, give me a month and a half. Who's a dark horse for the AL wildcard? I would have said the Rays. For a while there, they were surging. There was a time where they were within, I want to say, five, four, four games maybe of the AL East. They got it to there, and I thought for a while. I thought, "Hey, this could be interesting. The Rays might be an interesting pick." But although they looked like comers for the wild cards race only a month or so ago, but since going 11 and 19 in their last 30 and three and seven in their last 10, they are a cumulative 13 games back of the second wild card spot, meaning. They need to overcome a cumulative deficit of 13 games of record to catch up to and surpass all the teams ahead of them. Because, yes, while they may only be five marginal games back of the second wildcard spot, they have so many teams to catch up to, meaning they have to overcome a 13-game deficit. It's as though they are overcoming a 13-game deficit. And so, when you're 13 cumulative games back, I mean, yeah, sure, a miracle can happen, sure. Evan Longoria can pretend it's 2008 again and just go, whoa, hey, what's this? This is cool. All right, bam, 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 there we go. But that's probably not going to happen. Chris Archer, he might turn into Chris Sale. If Chris Archer does his best Chris Sale impersonation, yeah, you might have something there. But, uh, you know, I just... I just don't see it. And don't be fooled by the Texas Rangers. I know you might want to be. I might want to be. Because I'm a big Joey Gallo fan. Not Joey Gallo. Joey Callow. It's another reference for you. If you get it, comment. How about that? If you get the reference, go ahead and leave a comment on the blog, uh, the Call the calltothepen.com podcast post. Because despite the Rangers being only three whole games back of a wildcard berth, with all the teams ahead of them, they need an eight-game cumulative swing to make the playoffs. That may sound ominous, I know. And I know I may seem like I'm running counter to the point I just made. But here's something interesting about the Rangers. They have the best offense of any team not currently in a playoff spot. Their 5.1 runs per game average is only behind the Yankees' at 5.2. Outside of the Yankees, they are the best wild card hopeful in terms of offense. And they have the only, they have the only positive run differential of all the teams in the wild card hunt that currently don't have a spot. Outside of the Yankees and Twins in the AL wild card hunt, the Rangers are the only team that are averaging a positive run differential of any kind. The Angels sit at zero. Their run differential is literally zero. That means the result of that is their deficit in the standings is a little bit of bad luck. That bad luck, it seems, may be unraveling. They have the second best record over the last 30 games and 20 games at 17 and 13 and 12 and 8, respectively. Of all wildcard hopeful teams not currently holding a bid. Okay? Of all the teams that don't hold a bid in the AL for the wild card or wildcard or division, they have the second best record over the last thirty games and twenty games of all those teams, and are tied with the Royals for the second best record of AL Wildcard Hopeful teams in the last ten games. One foreboding problem, the only team ahead of them over the last 30 and 20 games, a more complete picture of a team's capabilities, the only team ahead of them is the LA Angels in terms of record. One foreboding problem is their one-run game record of 11-21, and despite even the positive run differential. If your bullpen can't hold on to one-run leads or gives up leads so quickly that's such that your offense would need to average like 6 runs a game to do better in the standings, you don't have a whole lot of hope of making the postseason. So the Rangers sure they've got that great offense, but if they get to within one run, if they get with if they get a team that matches their run output, Or their bullpen gives up a lead and it gets to a one-run game. Odds are they're not going to come out on top. And that's not going to bode well as you push into September baseball. But still, it might be worth looking at. They're coming, coming in hot over their last 30 and 20 games on top of being a little bit unlucky. Maybe something worth taking a second look at. But as we continue to talk about the AL wildcard race. There's one more dark horse out there in the wildcard hunt. One more. It's the Mariners. They're two games back of the second wildcard spot, but only four cumulative games back. You'll remember the Rangers. They're technically only three back, but eight whole cumulative games need to swing in their direction. The Mariners are only two games back and need only four cumulative games to swing in their direction in order to be dancing in the postseason. Now, listen, they've been trending water for the last 20 and 10 games, respectively. But they have six games left on the schedule with the Angels, against whom their offense and defense match up within one run of the other. The Mariners' trump card being their one-run their one game record. That's hard to say. One run, one run, one run. Their one-run game record of 22-11. and 11. Second best among AL wild card hopefuls, one run record. That's even harder to say. One run record, twenty-two and eleven. That's an incredible record in one run baseball games. It's bested among remember I said it was second. It's bested among wild card hopefuls by only Los Angeles Angels. Listen, in sports betting, it's hard to go wrong betting the favorites. But if you're looking for a long shot, not named Devin Wade or Colt Cruz, Madden 18, in stores on August 25th, Goat Edition, available now, the Rangers and Mariners might be teams worth watching. All right, it's time. I missed it over the weekend. Again, had some work to do on Monday, so wasn't able to get a podcast up uh, talking about it. But uh, the Major League Umpires engaged in a silent protest over the weekend, instigated by their union, whatever you want to call that vague collection of uh, 60-plus-year-old men who call baseball games and they call themselves a union, Uh, they put out out a statement. The union head is Joe West, none other than much-revered baseball umpire Cowboy Joe West, put out a statement saying, quote, Major League umpires hold themselves to high standards. We are held accountable for our performance every game. Our most important duty is to protect the integrity of the game, and we will continue to do that job every day. But the office of the commissioner must protect our integrity when we are unfairly attacked simply for doing our jobs." When we are unfairly attacked... Simply for doing our jobs, the umpires wore white wristbands, which uh, I read rumors that um, white wristbands are sometimes used uh, to raise awareness of uh, uh, blindness. Which, which, if true, is a pretty bad oversight. You could have picked any color; just go with black, right? Black is like the universal, doesn't mean anything. There's no secondary meaning here. There's nothing. I'm not going to find out that this is what like drug dealers use to signify when they kill and hollow out another mule to move their drugs across uh, a state or uh, country line. Nothing like that. It's just black. This is something we can all, everybody's got black, blah, blah, blah. You would think that. But apparently the umpires were too busy being unfairly attacked simply for doing their jobs to find out that uh, white wristbands were used to signify uh, blindness awareness or uh, in, in furtherance of awareness of the problem of blindness in this country. Uh, and maybe they're, hey, you know what? Maybe they were too blind to see it because they're bad umpires. Seriously. And here's the funniest part is that uh, during this one-day protest, it ended uh, over the weekend when the commissioner's office said that they would take a meeting with the head of the umpires union to talk about discipline for players who, quote, unfairly attack umpires, talking about more about Ian Kinsler and what he had to say about Angel Hernandez in the media, saying that Hernandez has been ruining baseball for a long time and just simply needs to find another career, which is... It's that's pretty lame beef for umpire stuff. I mean you gotta uh, people have said some pretty awful things to umpires in a fray. And Angel Hernandez and the umpires union is getting upset because Ian Kinsler said, Hey, this guy sucks, I think. He should find another career. Like how many F bombs have been thrown at Angel Hernandez, C B Buckner, and Cowboy Joe West? Right? How many F's, MF'ers, MF your mom? All the time. Just bloop, 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 all over the place. Hawk Harrelson has been waging a one-man war against C.B. Buckner for 15 years. And Ian Kinsler said, hey, that guy sucks and he should find another career. Oh, 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 it's bad. Can't say that. The funniest part was on uh, the, the first day or the the first and only day of their protest Umpire's wearing white wristbands mistakenly allowed an inside the park home run on a ball that was very 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 obviously foul. Very obviously and needed to be overturned on review. You mean I mean probably the worst time to go about saying, "Hey, stop. Stop attacking us. Hey, MLB commissioner, do something to prevent MLB players from quote unfairly attacking us for doing our jobs." Maybe the worst time to do that? is like the season after the same governing body of the sport had to institute a replay system because you kept screwing up. Replay exists in baseball because you are screw-ups. You know, that's what they should have done. That would have been an effective protest. Call a good game. Right? Right? You know that you know that replay system that you needed to implement MLB? Well, guess what? For a single day this season, we're going to be so good that you don't even need it. Because the whole reason you needed it in the first place is because we miss calls. <sighs> hey, th- listen. The idea about robot umpires, because this is naturally where this discussion goes, this discussion naturally gravitates towards robot umpires. Like, okay, let's just, let's just do robot balls and strikes now. And the technology exists and we could do it. We could definitely do it. And hitters would, there would be an adjustment period as hitters relearn, as well, hitters would need to actually learn a strike zone and that strike zone would be universal Outside of a quick, hopefully quick, adjustment period, Major League Baseball hitters would learn the strike zone, know the strike zone, and know that the strike zone isn't changing day in and day out. And it would probably be a net positive for hitters. They would probably be able, uh, all things told, it would probably benefit hitters more To know absolutely that's a strike. That's not. I know what to swing at. I know what to let go. I know if I see the slider out of this guy's hand and it's coming at me at this trajectory, I know from my tape, from my pregame scouting of this, or from my, you know, the advanced scouting, I know that this guy's slider breaks this much with this rotational velocity. Okay, I know to lay off here. Because odds are that's going to end up out of the zone. And I know where the zone is. I know where it is. That is my, you know, my benchmark. That is my North Star is the strike zone. I know where it is. I know what the computer strike zone is going to call. And of course, we have replay now to get everything right. But here's the thing is that the discussion of, of, Robot Umpires proceeds from the premise that you have to get calls right. That you have to get them right. That, that, that's what, that's the, the line of thinking that preceded the replay system. Oh, well, we have to get the calls right. You've got to get the calls right. And sure, yes, if you believe that you've got to get the calls right, You've got to you've got to you've got to get the calls right. You can't not get the calls right. Then yes, replay and then eventually robot umpires is the way to go. And it's it's if you are somebody who has said, well they've got to get the calls right, then you better be on board for robot umpires. There's no room for discussion. There's no room for for half-assing it at that point. There's none. Because you've made the assumption that you've got to get the call right. The call the call being right is paramount to the human experience of baseball. That's what you're saying. And at that point, you need to accept robot balls and strikes. You just got to accept it. There's no room. No room. But <clears throat> what if it wasn't as important to get the call right? What if we could value things like players getting uppity, players getting angry, players staring down umpires, and yes, as much as I despise it, umpires staring players back down, players getting angry, players crying to the media, umpires, or excuse me, managers rocketing out of the dugout to go yell at an umpire on on a call they disagree with the crowd reacting to an umpire's call. Imagine a world, imagine a baseball world without all of that, without all of it, because then it won't exist anymore. If you're going to say, all that matters is that the call is right, if that's your premise, what flows from that is a world in a world. Or excuse me, hold on, let me get there. In a world, in a world. But what flows from that is a world where none of that exists. Where you don't get upset at a player, you don't get upset at an umpire. You don't see the bench react. You don't see managers come out of the dugout. You don't see the chirping back and forth. You don't see the raucous applause when a player gets or when a player or manager gets launched by a, a an umpire that the crowd generally dislikes. That's all gone from baseball. And then I ask you, when that's all gone, and you may not realize how much of it there is in baseball, how much time is spent on the broadcast with camera shots of an umpire after a questionable call on the dugout, on the manager, on the player on, against whom or for whom the call was made. You may not realize how much time is spent. But then your maxim of the call is the most important to get right. It is most important, imperative that you get the call right. All of that is gone from the product of Major League Baseball. It's gone from the stadium experience. It's gone from the television experience. And I ask you, honestly, is the product better off for it? Is your. Enjoyment, because that's what it is. It's about enjoyment of the game. Is your enjoyment of the game impacted at all by the calls being 100% right? 100% of the time, without question, that guy struck out, that guy is out, that ball was foul, that ball's a home run. Is your enjoyment of the game that tied up? in the officiating be, being 100% correct. And I don't think I don't think people honestly when they think about it when they think about it in quiet moments inside their own head. I don't think many people would agree with that. I don't think you'd get many people again, inner monologue truth time I don't think you'd get many people that say, yeah, actually it is better off because I I really want the game to be officiated 100% perfectly. Otherwise, it's not worth watching. Because even, even saying that is absurd. It sounds absurd, and I think it sounds absurd to most people. And so, yeah, it's fun to rag on the umpires for their silly protest about being harangued in the media or by players for... Uh, sucking at their jobs but them sucking at their jobs is actually a part of baseball and I don't while I can get behind while I can certainly make make the argument and appreciate the argument for robot umpires I think that the people that are so gung-ho about it that are like you gotta do it now I don't think those people mm, spend a lot of time thinking about what the game would actually be like without all this and sure some people for some people the umpiring you take it or leave it yeah i don't really want to watch managers get angry and scream to get run and nothing really happens because that's a that's a very valid counterpoint but my argument is that the, the baseball is a human game not a robot game and when you start having it officiated by robots the human experience, the experience of the ball, being at the ballpark and, and watching the game on television even or hearing the game on the radio and hearing the, the call of the umpire or, or the, the stirring of the crowd at a bad call or at a series of bad calls, that's all part and parcel with the game of baseball to me, and I don't wish to see it so quickly ushered away from the game. All right, we're going to forego... Uh, what's hot and happening on Call to the Pen. We'll get back to it next week. But that'll wrap up this episode of the flagship podcast of Call to the Pen. Be sure to visit calltothepen.com every single day for great content from all of our contributors. You can follow me on Twitter, at John's Voices and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a beat. New episodes Monday and Wednesday, weather permitting. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you next time. I'm out. Bye.